so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. We've got to be able to do the Word of God, not just speak the truth. That we must unapologetically testify that God values all life, from the unborn to the disabled to the dying. If God values it, we value it. The value of human life isn't just an issue for Congress or activists or ethics professors. It's an issue for every single Christian and local church. The churches where the unborn are prayed over, where the widows are visited, where the orphan is adopted, and where the disabled and the unwanted are made heirs with the Lord of the universe. If fear is keeping you from loving people who are different from you, then fear is keeping you from God. The church must speak a prophetic gospel word to our culture of death. The cause of life is not a liberal versus conservative issue. It's a kingdom issue, and children of the king must stand up in defense of all of human life. Will you join us as we do just that this coming January? Come, march with us as we stand up for life in Washington, D.C., and stay for our 2018 Evangelicals for Life conference with Focus on the Family afterward. Learn more at evangelicals.life. And use the promo code ERLC Podcast to save 20% on registration. These children are not burdens. These children bear the image of God and are blessings. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast. This week we'll hear a fascinating discussion between Russell Moore and Sally Lloyd Jones. What's so clear in the Bible is that God chooses the least likely, most hopeless, most broken person to do his work. And it's always the one that everyone least expects. That it's not about not failing, it's about your heart. God sees your heart. And, you know, really the most beautiful characters in the Bible are the ones who turn and repent. And we love them because we see ourselves in them. Many Christians are familiar with Sally Lloyd-Jones because of her wonderful children's book, The Jesus Storybook Bible, Every Story Whispers His Name. Lloyd-Jones is a delightful woman with an obvious heart for children and the gospel. At the ERLC's national conference, Russell Moore sat down with Lloyd-Jones to ask her about capturing children's hearts with the Bible. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, good evening. Here with Sally Lloyd-Jones, who is the author of the Jesus Storybook Bible and and several other really good resources. Sally, I kind of feel like that old Saturday Night Live sketch of Chris Farley interviewing Paul McCartney. Just remember when you wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible? Well, isn't that awesome? I mean, that's what I kind of feel like doing tonight. Because 
we have been using Jesus Storybook Bible for, and, and other things that you've done uh, for a long time. And I've talked to people all over the place here who have as well. And were you expecting people to resonate as much with this when you were writing it? No, I had no idea. And I think that's encouraging, isn't it? I had no idea what I was doing, hmm. truthfully. And I would often sit in front of the computer and say to God, you know, after a lot of angst and trying to do it in my own strength, I'd go, you know, because I, I, ha- I had to write this book because I had a contract. I hadn't got the vision for what it would be. So that's the truth. And I think God uses it, very interesting motives sometimes, you know. It wasn't as if I suddenly had it in my head, this is what I'm going to do. God put me in the right position where I had to do it, and I was doing it. But I was like, with this attitude in front of the computer, Lord, you've got me into this mess, and so now I've got to write this Bible. So unless you do it, it won't get done. Mm. So you better do it, and I'm going to start writing, but you've got to do it. And then I realized, of course, that's where I should be in every single thing I do. Mm. You know, yeah. A friend of mine says, I say, you know, and the only thing we can do is pray. And she goes, has it come to that? <laughs> <laughs> Which is so true, isn't it? Yes. So, no, I had no idea, and I'm so blessed. Well, I was surprised, too, because someone gave us a copy. We had very, very small children at the time. And my first reaction was, I'm not going to read my kids a children's Bible, I'm a PhD in systematic theology, and these things are you know, so silly and moralistic and whatever. And then I started reading through it. This is actually good. And so, uh, and one of the things that was so shocking to me is a lot of materials for children tend to shy away from the scary parts uh, of the Bible, the, the sort of dark parts of the Bible, and just want to concentrate on here some, some light, happy sort of moral lessons for you. And, and you don't. I mean, you, you go through and how do you encourage parents when you're talking about some of those some of those really, really frightening things that can be there in the biblical story. Yeah. Well, I just have to confess, when I was a little girl, my favorite story that my dad would have to read to me, I think I was a bit disturbed by it, was John the Baptist's head. Mm. (laughs) But I think it's what you said in your opening address, that children know there are things out there that are scary. And if we don't talk about them, how can they trust us? Because Mm. they know. So if we're saying it's all lovely, and yet they know then they're left very lonely and they have no one to process it with. Whereas if you, you know, no one is too young for the truth. Mm. And I think that's the most important thing is tell the truth. Tell it in an age-appropriate way, but don't shy away from it. And, you know, the danger is I, I was once doing a very, very short Bible and it was all like every story was about two lines. And the publisher said, you know, really we would prefer you not to mention death in the resurrection story. So I'm like... So, well, then how can you be resurrected if you never died? And there can't be joy if there's no pain and sorrow. So you don't have to terrify children, but you, you know, we don't want to terrify children at all. But unless you tell them the truth, it's more terrifying to them. And that's what I love about what you said about Maurice Sendak. He knew there are wild things out there. Mm -hmm. But if you can tame them by sitting with your child and talking about them, then you've equipped your child. And our job is not to protect children as much as equip them. Mm. There's appropriate protections we need to put in place, but our ultimate goal surely is to equip them so they can stand. Yeah, Maurice Sendak's um, 
Where the Wild Things Are was, was one of my favorite books as a kid. And then one of the books that my own kids would ask to read over and over and over again. And I think you're right. I think part of that is looking the wild things in yes. the eye. Being brave. Uh, yeah, and they tame. In a safe place. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the other things that's a challenge, I think, for, for parents, for teachers, for anybody who's dealing with children, uh, is how to communicate the Bible without communicating moralism. Do this more and do this better and be better behaved. Uh, and I think a lot, of, a lot yeah. of things that we give to kids are, are like that. Yeah. How, do you, how do you avoid that with kids? Well, what I think of is, I think about, I, I try and think of what do we want as adults? When, like, when we go to read the Bible in the morning, are we looking for a list of things we have to do when we go into work? Like, you know, it's a typical thing is the, the story of the, the little boy with his lunch. If that story is all about you've got to be generous and share your lunch, how dreadful. Because, mm-hmm. you know, my little niece was being bullied at the time. And I thought, uh, she was about seven and she was going into school. And I said, what do you read before you go into school? And she showed me this book and it was all like that. You know, mm-hmm. if you, you must share your lunch. And I thought, well, as grown-ups, what if we were going into a board meeting with some really scary people? And our instruction that morning was, just like the little boy, you must go in and share your lunch. That's not helpful, is it? Right. I mean, maybe it is good to share a lunch, but mm-hmm. really that, <laughs> that story has so much more in it. And really what I think of is what equips a child? What do we look for in a story like that? We're looking for the Lord to strengthen our spirit. We're looking to see, oh, I wonder if I gave Jesus everything I have, what might he do with what I have, with the not enough that I have? So when I go into the board meeting, I go in knowing I don't have enough, but Look what Jesus can do with what I don't have. And that's what children need. So in terms of devotionals and Bibles, that's not the time to be giving them rules. Mm. We've got plenty of other places for rules. But until children know that they're loved by God, that God is for them, that he's with them, nothing changes until you know you're loved, I think. Mm. I think there are probably a lot of people in here that... If you, if you ask them one-on-one, would say that when it comes to devotions with, with children, that one of the things they feel is a lot of guilt. Uh, because there are, there are many parents who feel like they're failing uh, at doing devotionals, and they assume that everybody else uh, is just, has, has this all down and, and comes in. And, and What would you say to a parent who just says, I just feel like I'm failing at, at teaching my kids the Bible? I think that's, a, that's just a way for the... Probably just to make you feel so awful that you can't really be present. And the truth is we're all failing all the time. And that's the good news. We're all broken. And our only hope is that God is the one whose strength is made perfect in weakness. I'd also say, I always feel like, you know, a story is so powerful. All you need to do is read a story. If it's a good story, read a story from the Bible. Read something... And don't feel you have to then do a sort of exposition on it. Because actually what you do, if you read a really good story, the story is the power. Mm. It's the one, it's, the th- it's like a seed, it will work secretly. But if you, and I tell this story on myself, I once was in a Sunday school and I was reading the Jesus Storybook Bible and I read the story of Daniel. And I'm very good at making children get out of control, but I'm dreadful about getting them back in control. <laughs> so I panicked because the teacher had gone and I'd read this story and out of my mouth I heard myself say, now children, what can we learn about how uh, God wants us to behave? 
And there'd been this little girl who'd been sitting up all the way through the story of Daniel and how there's this hero coming. And she was like this. And the minute I said, what can we learn about how God wants us to behave? She crumpled and bowed her head. And I won't ever forget it because it was the picture of what happens to a child when we turn a story into a sermon. Mm. If I'd left it, then she would have been like this with the Lord. And who knows what God would be talking to her about. Mm. But because I made it about how God wants us to behave, I took away all the mystery Mm. and all the ways God might be talking to that child. And I made it about, well, it's because I was scared and I wanted to have control. And we like like bullet points and rules and rulers and measures because then we're in control. But a story is secret and it works without you knowing. And you're not in control, Mm. but it's more powerful. What about... When, because you go through the Jesus Storybook Bible, you're, you're going through the, the whole story of Scripture. So there are many times when the Scripture sort of leaves you hanging. Yes. Uh, many I did times. That. Yes, I love that. Where there's this sense of, there's this sense of unresolved tension. Um, and we as adults, if we've been Christian for very long, of course we know where this is all going. But what, we, what would you do as a parent or someone who's equipping parents who's, who's talking to a child? And you're, mm. you're moving through and you leave that point of tension. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's great. Mm. You know, the definition of a boring book is a book that does your work for you, the work mm. of the reader. And one time I was testing a manuscript on some children. And there was this one particular spread and I was reading it. And they kept asking me all these zillions of questions. So I went back to the publisher and I said, I'm obviously going to have to write more because they keep asking all these questions. And he said, no. If they're asking questions, you know it's all right. If they're not asking questions, then you've missed it. Because really what you want from children is for them to be asking questions. And maybe what I find helpful is instead of trying to come up with a moral lesson, to to read a story and go, I wonder together, wonder together, because we're, we're all children before God, wonder together about, isn't that amazing, that story? Instead of having to feel like we have to be the teacher in that situation, why not? together be the children before mm. your heavenly father wondering with your littler children isn't it amazing that god would do that and mm. if you do i wonder questions then you open it up and the child can join in or not mm. i was when i was a kid i went over to a friend's house and they had uh, family devotions every night and honestly it was one of the most oppressive <laughs> And boring experiences that I have ever been through in my life. It just seemed to go on and on and on well, the word in slow motion. Well, yeah, very hard. but especially this way. And and my friends, the kids are looking at me like, "Welcome to our world. This is what it is." And so that's one of the things that I feared as a parent is I, I want to make sure that when I say the Bible. The reaction of my kids isn't the reaction of my yeah. friends, which is, oh, no, this means we're going to. What do you do if a child says to you, I find the Bible boring? I just don't mm-hmm. like it. Well, I, I think I learned this from Tim Keller. That I had a, actually one of my, someone very close to me who's quite young said, I don't like God. Hmm. And I think maybe a few years ago, I might have launched into defending God. But this time, I went, well, and she started saying why she didn't like God. And I said, well, I don't blame you. I wouldn't like that God either. I don't believe in that God, but I can see why you would hate him. I wouldn't like him. And I think that may be a good way is to say, what is, it, what is the Bible, do you think? And find out what it is they hate. Because probably what they're hating isn't really what they think they're hating. You know? Yeah, yeah. What about, in terms of some parents 
really emphasize memorizing scripture. Other parents more worried about just making sure they understand the, the story. Uh, other parents more interested in the fact that they understand particular doctrines and the answers to questions about those doctrines. How do you, for lack of a better word, balance uh, all of those things when you're teaching children the Bible? That's a hard question, isn't mm, it? Sorry. I don't know. It's like a maths question. I've even lost track of what the question is. <laughs> um, that's too- yeah. See, I learned from that devotional that person <laughs> was oppressing you. Really. Yeah. Um, I don't know the answer. It's hard. It is hard. Don't you think, I know it's hard for me yeah. as an oh, adult. Well, you're a PhD, so. Yeah, it's hard to memorize scripture. Yeah. Unless I, I trick myself into memorizing oh, scripture. Well, right. Slugs and bugs. It gets in yes. your head without you even, I know he's back there, so. I yes. Was, I was going to say without you even wanting it in there, it's in there. <laughs> Sorry, but Randall. Do, but I do want it in there. I love his... I, I actually... I do. I, I, I play his music all the time. But and it is a fantastic thing because yeah. it's... Again, it's excellent. So it, it goes in with... It, and it's just seamless, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's not torturing you. And maybe that's it. It's about... I'll speak about storytelling. I think if you do a good job of storytelling, you get over those humps, mm-hmm. you know? And I also think people are very different. Ch- children are different. And some will respond to one approach and another was, right. you know and I think the parents you know best what your child will respond to and mm-hmm. I don't think there's a right or a wrong you mm-hmm. know and maybe you draw the child in through just a small thing or you know some children don't really wake up spiritually do they for a while but the seeds are being planted mm-hmm. yeah, I had a, a parent who told me one time so I give my children five dollars for every verse that they memorize and I mean, are, you, are, you, are you training them to be a prosperity gospel TV evangelist? This just seems like such a transactional uh, view, of, uh, view of the Bible. But I think you're right. I think, uh, I think even adults. Um, I know people who have more of an engineering mindset who can sit down and memorize the book of Ephesians. Um, I have a lot of the Bible memorized, but it's, it's not because I'm trying to memorize it. It's just because I'm, I'm familiar with it. I think, that's, I think that's true for children as well. When, when you think about, you talked about Randall with slugs and bugs sort of sneaking in, in there. Uh, I couldn't help but think of C.S. Lewis uh, talking about Chronicles of Narnia, about about creeping past those watchful dragons. Yes. That there's a sense in which people are often trying to protect themselves uh, from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if, you, if you go around those defenses, they can see the wonder of it yes. again. And yeah. uh, I think about the stone table scene mm. in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which every time I read it drives me to, to tears in a way that sometimes even reading John 19 right. uh, doesn't. Right. Should that worry us, or do you, think that's, do you think that's a good thing, the way that fiction can sometimes awaken those things? I think, well, you think of Nathan and his sermon. Mm. You know, he comes to David and he doesn't say, you're very wicked and you did this. He tells him a story about a rich man and a poor man's lamb. And the, re- and the reason that's so powerful is because a story, you know, when we come at things head on, like you say, all your defenses are up. If you tell a story, it comes around the side and it ambushes you and it captures your heart. So I think storytelling is often the, the most effective way to ambush us. Mm. And we all know that because when you see a, a really, when you read a really great 
book or you see a movie that echoes Christ, you know, the, the story underneath all the stories, there's nothing better than it. And sometimes you see a whole new facet because of the way that story was told. So I, I think storytelling is crucial. Hmm. I, I used to guest host a radio program uh, sometimes, and the worst day of that show was the day that I talked about Harry Potter. Oh. And I, I was talking about storytelling and, and those stories, but I mentioned the words Harry Potter. And so you had just the, the most unbelievable sorts of calls in. I can't believe you're, you're leading us toward witchcraft and you know, those, those sorts of things. Um, and then other people, you, let out, you left out crucial plot developments. And, uh, you know, so I said, never again are we talking about Harry Potter. Uh, I, I think that I think there are sometimes parents when they're trying to think about, okay, apart from the Bible, when we're thinking about fiction for kids, they're sort of scared mm -hmm. because they, they maybe aren't experts in everything that's been written. Uh, how would you counsel them to think through storytelling apart from the Bible uh, to kids? Well, I think because, you know, obviously you have to be discerning and each parent will have their own set of what they require from a story. But just to know that if you think about it in your own life, how has God spoken to you? It's, it's obviously through the Bible, but he'll also speak to you through a sunset or he'll, he'll show his glory through being in nature. Now, you don't get the full revelation that way, but you get a, an echo. And I think of stories like that. It just weaves richness into our understanding because God himself is an incredible creator, obviously. I mean, he's created all these fish that we're never even going to see. Mm. All these incredible fish that we, every now and then we've discovered a new, well, the fish wasn't discovered. The fish knew he was there all along. But, you know, um, I think about that joy and exuberance of God in creation. And I think we need to just know that's our father. That's our creator. So perhaps we have to be less frightened of seeing angles of his truth through other media. You know, song is also powerful. You have to be discerning, of course, and you obviously have the Bible as your source. But I think there's so much beauty in the world that he's created. And there are so many kids who have no access uh, to written stories at all because they're, they're simply plugged into screens from a yeah. very, very early age. Um, I, often my children are the only ones outside in the neighborhood because all of the other children are in front of video games wow. for long, long periods of time. And my kids are, why aren't we able to be sitting in front of video yeah. games? How would you counsel parents when they're thinking through cultivating imagination um, to think about those things that could potentially kill imagination? They're going on with all our distracting technologies and so forth. Well, of course, I don't want to tell anyone how to do any of this, but um, I think it's balance, isn't it? And maybe it's about, I mean, my experience with my nieces and nephews is, they're going to want to do those things until I sort of get, up, get them out to do a walk or something. And then we're on this walk, and then they're fantastic. They love it. Mm. I don't think we're going to... Ex they're not going to want to do it when, in theory. So I think sometimes it's being creative about finding ways to distract them from it and being involved yourself with it rather than sort of, you know... But that's not always practical. I realize that. Mm. You can't always be with them doing stuff like that. But I'm no expert on that. I, one of the things I appreciate about the Jesus Storybook Bible and also about your, your relatively new book on 23rd Psalm, uh, which I love as well, is that you have this sort of ongoing 
invitation to Christ. Uh, that that it's not just that it punctuates; it's sort of underlying the whole thing. Of it's almost as though underneath it all, you're saying, "Isn't this wonderful? Mm. Wouldn't you like to be a part of this?" Mm, that's lovely. And one of the things I think is hard uh, sometimes, either for children's, say, Sunday school teachers or for parents or for others, is to think about evangelism when it comes to children, when there are so many people who have had the, had the experience of when they were four years old, having someone say, do you love Jesus and you want to go to heaven? If so, raise your hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, you know, if you find a four-year-old who's going to say, I hate Jesus and want to go to hell, <laughs> your other things going on usually there. Uh, <laughs> And, and saying, you know, I don't want to manipulate my child. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to try to evangelize my child in a way that causes uh, the child to sort of prematurely make a right. profession of faith. Uh, how, how should we think about that without overreacting to that in a way that sets up barriers to children who yeah. want to follow Christ? Well, I think I keep banging on about stories, but I think that give, that is to me. I mean, obviously, I'm a storyteller, so I. But I think you engage a child through telling stories. And that's them. Just watch what happens to a child when you say once upon a time. You have their attention right there. More so than even a video game. If you're telling them a story, there's something very powerful that happens. Especially little ones, you know. And I just think building that relationship with a child, reading quality books. Even if it's a picture book that, you know, guess how much I love you. That's a beautiful picture book about a father and his baby. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not overtly anything about the Bible, but it's to anyone who knows the Bible knows that there is a lot of gospel in that. So I think there are lots of great, great books that we can use. And it's not threatening to a child then, and you're not bashing them over the head. You're respecting them. You're trusting that God can use, you're praying for them, you're telling them Bible stories, and you're giving them beautiful literature god can use all of that Mm. you know it's like you're preparing the ground and you're sowing the seeds whether the child becomes a christian at four or 24 is really almost none of our business Mm. and when you look back at your own life the story of your life what were the influences that god used to give you a passion for the gospel and for storytelling and and for putting those two things together Mm. Well, I think uh, I grew up, I mean, I was one of those four-year-olds that became a Christian. Mm. So my dad led me to the Lord. But I know that I knew what I was doing. And your dad was not D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. No. Okay. Yeah, everyone says. And I'm not his wife. I mean, I've been told all these things. that, And people say it very officially, so I almost believe it. On a blog. <laughs> <laughs> I read it that I'm his wife. So I thought, oh. Um, no, but when I was four, my dad came home from this meeting. He heard about a missionary who'd had a little girl who'd come, become a Christian. He invited her to become a Christian. So he came home and said, Sally, darling, would you like to invite Jesus into your heart? And I, I was on my tricycle. And I said, no, thank you, and tricycled off. <laughs> I like that I'm so polite. But, but later that year, I became a Christian. And so as far as I can remember, I never knew a time that Jesus wasn't my best friend. Mm. But as far as God went, I wasn't quite so sure about God. And I had an experience when I was about six going to a Sunday school where I remember walking with my dad. Now, I, you know, I knew Jesus was my best friend, but I was walking to this Sunday school and I don't know what they taught us. I'm sure they were meaning well, but I, as a little six-year-old, got the idea that it was all about rules and I wasn't doing it right. 
and I was walking down this street with, holding my dad's hand inside saying, when I grow up, I'm never going to church again, ever. I said something had gone very wrong. Mm. But I think God enabled me to remember that picture because when I was writing the Jesus Storybook Bible, I really wrote it partly for that little girl, for her to know, yeah, it's not, yeah there are rules that are important about how life works best, but this book is not a rule book. Mm. And this book is not about trying to be as brave as Daniel or as brave as David, which was the other thing I thought. I would lie under my sheets in my bed when, when I was about six, thinking, would I be as brave as Daniel? And, and knowing that I wouldn't, I would say, no, I, 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 I'm not a Christian. No, mm. don't throw me to lions. And so then I would think, well, God can't love me because I'm not brave. Mm. And this Bible is all full of people who are brave that people... People God loves are brave, and they do it right. So God can't love me. And so that's why I wrote the book, and that's what fueled almost to a passion where I couldn't, I couldn't bear it if there was any hint of any morality. And at one point, because that's, that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came because we couldn't do it, mm. to enable us to live the way he wants. But if, if we could have done it, he never needed to have come. Mm. And it's such a beautiful story, and you think, the other thing I thought was my nieces and nephews were very little and they were all into fairy tales. And my little niece, Ellie, she used to wear a you know, princess tiara and a gown to breakfast. And she would only twirl and she would sing, one day my prince will come and get so moved she'd fall over and cry. And it was just adorable. <laughs> and, you know, just you love it. And then she was also in a play group and she was being called, she was three, and she'd already been called names, fat, ugly. Mm. And it broke my heart. And at the same time, my nephew was playing all these games of heroism and failing at school. And I just thought, I remember thinking, kind of thinking to the Lord, oh, it's so tragic. You know, they love fairy tales and they're just going to find out that this beautiful, these stories that they love just aren't true. And then immediately the thought broke through. But what if, what if my niece's wonder and longing, what if my nephew's longing to be a hero what if all those are pointing to the true hero mm. and the true prince and the fairy tale the ultimate true fairy tale of the gospel and that's what i wrote it for was to say you know we're part of an incredible real life fairy tale mm. it's not good right now and we're still on the way but ultimately all the sad things are coming untrue mm. how would you on the other side of that explain to a child because there are some characters that are, for lack of a better word, good guys uh, in the scripture that we do not want our children to imitate. <laughs> uh, and so you, you, yes. yeah, I think of Jacob, uh, yes. for instance. And so how do, you, how do you tell the biblical story while at the same time not saying, yeah. lying to your parents right. is a fine thing to do? And, uh, <laughs> well, I think you, what's so clear in the Bible is that God chooses the least likely, most hopeless, most broken person to do his work and it's always the least the one that everyone least expects and that it's not about not failing it's about your heart God sees your heart and you know really the most beautiful characters in the Bible are the ones who turn and repent mm -hmm. and we love them because we see ourselves in them mm -hmm. so I think it's partly again going back to we have to tell children the truth we have to tell them the truth about what we do wrong Mm. inappropriate ways but that we're all broken you know mm. one of the things that we've done over the years is people we know who are not christians at all uh when they have a baby or when they move into town we can give them a copy of the jesus storybook bible um and people 
tend to respond to that uh, better than they would, say, if you, you came in and gave them some book on the gospel for mm-hmm. adults. Uh, and even if they don't immediately start using it with their kids, when the parents sit down uh, and, and start reading it. And one, thing, one of the things I think about all the time are the children where there's sort of one, one moment of interaction. They come to church one time. And they're in, they're in a Sunday school class one time, or they go to a youth camp one time, or they come to your house uh, one time. Um, if you had just that, that one hour with a child to think through, what would I want to, to communicate if, if this was the only chance I ever had? What would, you, what would you do? Well, I think I know. I think I would ask them, if I could have this opportunity... If I had a group of children, I would say, how many, people, you know, how many children in this room think you have to be good for God to love you? And I'd put my hand up, because most of the time, we may not think we think that, but even adults, we think that. Mm-hmm. And then how many people here think if you stop being good, God will stop loving you? And I'd put my hand up, because I think, I, you know, it's one thing to become a Christian, but then when you're a Christian and you're bad, then what? Does God mm-hmm. stop loving you? So, and then I would say, you know, I was a little girl like that. That's what I thought. And then I would just tell them, but you know, the amazing thing is God knew that we would think that. And he knew he couldn't bear to be without us. So he came from heaven and stepped down and became one of us because he can't, he can't, he loves us so much and he can't stop loving us. So no matter what we do, it doesn't, it it doesn't stop him loving us. And then I would just say, God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And then probably get them to repeat it back. And what does that mean? Unbreaking, never stopping, never giving up. I think you can't tell children. I mean, I know I keep saying this, but I think I, this book came from that belief that they have to know how much God loves them. We all have to know that. That's where everything changes. That's the hardest thing for me to know and remember, yes. remember Isn't myself it? every day. Yeah. We go so quickly into deserving it or earning it or, yeah, we, because we don't get that kind of love, do we? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember uh, in not, not very long ago, uh, walking down the road and thinking about how disappointed God was with me. Uh, and sitting there thinking, wait a minute, I've spent my whole life preaching <laughs> the gospel uh, to other people. And why is it so difficult to, to believe it myself? Yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really extraordinary. Sometimes it helps me to think of... If you've got in your head a, a lovely father with, or a grandfather, with, or I, I think of grandfather and father just because I'm thinking father, but it could be mother or grandmother, and seeing how they react when a little one comes and the little one runs into their arms and sits on their laps, and that delight, sometimes that's what will help me picture God's love. Because you can see it. We, we see it all the time. And I think being concrete with children is very important so they can see it. Mm. So even just saying to a child, you know how when you come into the room, if you're the grandparent, you know how when you come into the room, I just can't stop hugging and loving you and kissing you and giving you treats? Guess who that's like? That's like God. You know, mm-hmm. you can use little moments to say, that's what God's like. Of course, there are probably some people that say here, yeah, but I'm afraid I would have to say, remember how I yell and nag and <laughs> yes, that's lose not what my temper. Like. And, yeah. 
that's not yeah. like God. Yeah. yeah, don't think about that. <laughs> one, one, one thing that people, people uh, ask me sometimes, uh, very recently someone said they, they're using Jesus Storybook Bible, another person was using uh, another uh, Bible with their kids, and they said, when do we move to, she said, to the real Bible? And so yeah, how, how do you supplement, and when, when would you move to the actual text of, of Scripture? Is that something they ought to worry about? Uh, getting to and and how would you make that transition well I think of what C.S. Lewis said when a little girl said that she thought she was that she loved Aslan more than Jesus Mm. and I think he said that's well Aslan is I mean Mm -hmm. who you're loving in Aslan behind that is that you know so he wasn't really worried about that and I think I think obviously the goal is to get to the real bible but the Bible is such a grown-up book and so long. So I think it's choosing, like maybe Psalm 23, that's something you can do. You could start with a paraphrase and then read the real text together and see how similar they are, just for fun. Mm-hmm. I think as long as you keep it light and mm-hmm. don't make the child feel like they... What you want is for the child to choose to want to read it, don't you? Mm-hmm. That's what your goal is. Well, I have to admit... There are many times when I've been reading the Jesus Storybook Bible to my children when I'm not really reading it to them. I'm reading it to myself. Uh, and uh, I, I would probably be reluctant to admit how much I have accidentally memorized from the Jesus Storybook Bible. <laughs> such a compliment. Uh, and, and how that's, uh, that's blessed me in my own heart and life. And so if you haven't uh, encountered this, I really encourage you to get it and to, and to think about it with your own kids or with those in your ministries. Sally Lloyd-Jones, thank you so much thank for blessing Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the ERLC podcast. To hear more episodes, visit ERLC.com and join us next week as we hear an amazing testimony about an unwanted pregnancy.